Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Good evening. The reading tonight does come from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 12, found in page 1227 of the Bibles in the pews. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance which can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. James, thanks so much. Let's just take a moment to pray for the Lord's help. Lord, we thank you that you are with us, that you are with us always. We pray that your presence with us right now as we come to consider your powerful word, the words spoken to us by the Spirit, would be all the more tangible. We pray that we would sense not just words on a page being spoken, but the very voice of God speaking to us across the ages by the living power of the Spirit. Lord, open our eyes to wonderful things in this, your word, that our lives would be changed and our hopes also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so I gave you these four images at the beginning. Uh, an alien, a refinery, great joy, and a shield in a burger bar in Utah, just in case you were wondering, that's where that shield is located. And those four things all occur in these first few verses of the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to start with the top left, aliens or strangers, exiles. Thank you so much, uh, Ian. Because for that, it's for that reason that um, I've chosen uh, this particular book uh, to, to look at in our sermon series. Because as Christians, we are increasingly alien to our culture. Thank you, and I think we can, we can remove that for now. All, all, all of these um, images capture something of what it means to be Christians. But right now, we are very much strangers. How so? Well, it's got to be said, we live in a culture that does have a very strong Christian history and heritage. We have an established church, and it's kind of woven into the fabric of our nation. And we were uh, particularly aware of that, I guess, only the other day as we gathered in our millions on television screens to witness um, the funeral of our late queen. An extraordinarily Christian occasion. It was an amazing witness to the Christian faith. But actually, our Christian heritage in general is, is fast fading in our culture. So church going was once a social norm, but I don't need to tell you right now, it's not now. It's not something people really do. It's quite an odd thing to do, frankly. Well done for being odd this evening. Uh, with some notable exceptions, there's not a lot of the Christian faith in our education system, although we've got some wonderful teachers at Tennyson's just down the road where that's very different. We, we praise the Lord for that. Once there, it was pretty widespread that you know, most people through school assemblies and, and so, so forth, they would have some familiarity with the Christian faith. Now there are many, many people growing up uh, as young people, as teenagers, who have basically no knowledge. They've got no idea about what the Christian faith is. And our national church is in, in very rapid decline. Um, there was a recent study that worked out what the R number was for the Church of England. Do you remember the R number you know, when, during COVID? Always, like, it was the infection rate. Right? Well, if being a church, an Anglican Christian is, is a disease, right, the R number for that is 0.9, which means if you, if you extend that, uh, by 2062, the Church of England will have disappeared completely. There you go. That's what the statisticians tell us. So we are in pretty massive decline as a church. Now, who knows quite how accurate that, that model is and how it will play out like that, whether the Lord will do something extraordinary in between times. But what it does mean all of that for now is that being a Christian, saying you're someone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, who wants to follow him in their life, that is, that is going to feel unusual, perhaps even an odd thing to do. And at different points, we as Christians are going to feel like aliens and strangers in the world. Perhaps you felt that yourself. Perhaps you're uh, the only church-going Christian in your place of work, or your family, or your school, amongst your school friends. And, and when you've told the people around you what you've been doing at the weekend, you've sort of got the sense from those around you, they, sort of, they don't really know quite what to do with that piece of information. What do you say after someone says, I, I go to church? Or perhaps you felt it with your friends. 
or, or the people that you've known a long time. You, you know, you love them very much. It's, it's easy hanging out. But somehow your faith is kind of off limits for conversation. There's loads you can share easily. You, know, you can gossip about the change in the price of the cost of oil or the challenges of getting a mortgage. Or, or you can tell them about you recently got into climbing boulders or you've gone to a concert or a match. And, and that's, all of that's easy. But then talk about your faith. That would just be well, weird. It's just somehow very far away from what's normal. Or perhaps, again, you've made really significant sacrifices as a follower of Christ. Perhaps you've left a relationship because it was pulling you away from the Lord. Perhaps you've not taken opportunity. You've not, you've not made a purchase for reasons of conscience. And it's actually quite costly for you because you've done something on, on principle. Or you've acted out of integrity on something that the many wouldn't have really bothered about. And it just feels quite costly being a Christian. And frankly, a bit lonely. Well, all of those experiences, and many more like them, are why I want to spend some time looking at this first book of Peter. Because those were the kind of experiences that I think the Apostle Peter wrote this letter into. If you've got the book open there, or you've got it on, on your device, um, we're going to go back to, the, to verse 1. Just listen to, to what Peter says here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. So this is a letter from... Uh, Peter, he's the, the, the disciple of Jesus, the one who so boldly said, I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. And then the cockerel crowed three times, do you remember? And then uh, he suddenly realized that he had. And then at the, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus kind of reinstated Peter. He gave him a prophecy long before anyone had ever heard of Dwayne Johnson. Peter was called The Rock. Uh, and Jesus said, Look, I'm going to build my church on you, The Rock. Jesus told Peter his ministry was going to be foundational for the growth of the church. And this letter comes really at the end of Peter's life, probably, at the other end, as it were. 30 years of Peter being the rock has happened. He's been involved in sharing the good news, church planting throughout the Mediterranean. Um, scholars differ, but probably this, this letter was written in Rome. Um, and he's writing to Christians scattered all over this area, Pontus, Galatia, and so forth. It's all modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, that sort of area. And it turns out that Peter himself feels like an alien and a stranger as he's writing. We know that from a bit of the letter we didn't read today. It comes right at the end, where he says that he and another co-worker are currently in Babylon. That's what, that's what he calls it. Now, Babylon can't be the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. That's long since evaporated. Babylon is a, is a code name for, for Rome, where Peter is. But Peter uses the name Babylon to refer to Rome because he wants, he's thinking in terms of the exile of the Israelites. 600 years previously, the, the people of Israel had been in Jerusalem and the, the Babylonians had come and besieged the city and then taken them all off into exile in Babylon. 
And that's what it feels like for Peter. He says, I feel like I'm in Babylon. I feel like I'm a really long way away from home, a long way away from where, where, where would, be, would be normal, would be my place. I feel like I'm a stranger in this world. And the people he's writing to, they also have that experience. He calls them, in verse 1, he calls them strangers in the world or exiles, depending on your um, translation. An exile, of course, is someone who's very far from home. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word exile. Uh, For me right now, um, my thoughts go to some of our Ukrainian friends who've joined us in this church over the last year. And I I don't want to miss the opportunity to say a big thank you to the many of you who've made such an effort to to welcome uh, people, particularly Ukrainian people, whether that's been through hosting a, a family or a couple of individuals at home or just welcoming them in church. But I know that there are many other experiences of exile. Perhaps some of us here actually know what it means to be an exile. Perhaps that's your experience every day here. You, you've come from a different culture. And you feel a very, very long way away from home. Now, Peter's readers were like that. But they, they, it wasn't a geographical exile that they felt. It's not that they were a long way away from their place of birth. Peter was saying they were spiritual exiles. Because they were Christians, somehow, at some level, however familiar the world they lived in, this world never feels quite like home. These Christians feel like somehow they belong to somewhere else. So here's my first question for you, and it may be a comfort, it may even be a challenge. As a Christian, do you feel like an exile? As a Christian, do you feel like an exile? If you do, if you do feel like an exile, which I know is quite an uncomfortable place to be, then actually these verses are real comfort. 2,000 years ago, one of the fathers of the church was writing to people just like you, and he was saying, look, This is what it's like following Christ. You're going to feel like a stranger. Paradoxically, if you're a Christian, it's normal to feel odd. It's normal to feel odd. If you feel like that, and I know it's not easy, it it actually might be a good sign. It might be an indication you're on the right track. And of course, that needs some thinking about because most of the time when we feel odd or strange, we think something's wrong. But there is a flip side to that as well. there's There's a challenge here. It should also be odd, as a Christian, to feel normal. If it's normal to feel odd, it should also be odd to feel normal. If we say we're Christians, but we have absolutely no sense of being strangers in this world, if we just feel totally at home in this present moment, then perhaps the reality is we've lost sight of our true identity. Ultimately, if you like, we're not from around here. We're exiles. We're exiles. Okay, so far, hopefully so clear, but also perhaps not so great. Um, It's not the greatest sell for the Christian faith. Isn't it brilliant? You should definitely join the Christian faith. It's going to be excellent. You're going to feel fundamentally dislocated for the rest of your life. Okay, so why would I want that? Why would anyone want that? How could anyone keep going with that? Well, it's not the only thought in these verses. And the rest of the time I want to spend together with you is just seeing... The great encouragement from these verses, how um, 
Peter touches on the immense motivations for keeping going and the comforts he offers to Christian exiles. Okay, the first encouragement these verses offer is the encouragement of God's calling. Let's go back to verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world or exiles scattered. God's elect People who are chosen according to God's foreknowledge. The first encouragement is this. This path of exile, it's, it's God's calling. It's his idea. He's chosen you. Now, people get quite uneasy about this idea of God choosing. Well, what about the people who aren't chosen? And there's some important discussions that we can have about that another time. I don't, really think, that, I don't think that's really in, in question. I don't think, that's not really the point here. The point here is that God does the calling, not us. Okay, so, so the way of the, the path of the life of faith, it's not determined by our lifestyle choices. We're not playing out our own agenda. It's, it's determined by God's directives. It, it's God's initiative. It's God's agenda. So, yes, the road is tough, right? As, as a Christian, the road is tough. But here's the thing. God sent you on that road. You didn't just go down it randomly. God sent you down it. In fact, the chapter goes on that we have been uh, chosen for the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. To sanctify something means to make it holy, to make it different. That's what God wants to happen in our lives. It's God's calling. Second, we have um, a living hope. Uh, I had to, I, this is one of my memory verses when I was growing up. I, I love this verse and I commend it to you. Go home, learn it. It's brilliant. From verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. We have a living hope. I, I went to see my, my father the other day, uh, and he's not at all well to the extent we sort of got to the, to the point of having those incredibly difficult conversations about wills and funerals and end-of-life care and so forth. And dad's got uh, multiple really complicated conditions, one of which he shares with another 22 people in the entire world, apparently. Um, he prides himself on always having these kind of strange idiosyncratic conditions, and so he's swimming in hospital appointments. He's constantly in pain. He was in hospital the other day uh, having a blood transfusion. He has to have those to keep him alive. And the chaplain came round and offered to spend some time with him. And he said to her, talk to me. Talk to me about hope. Talk to me about hope. And she shared uh, Psalm 121 with dad. And that was, that was a wonderful thing for her to do. And then we were able to go back and I shared it with him again. When all is said and done, what we need as human beings is hope. We need hope. Dad is in an acute phase of struggle. His body isn't working properly, but he knows the Lord, and so he has hope. And he loves that hope. He's just full of it. He loves the hope of the resurrection. And perhaps, frankly, it's only when this life is really going down the pan that we really focus our minds on it properly. He loves that hope that he's going to be made new, that the pain and suffering he's currently experiencing is going to pass. 
You know, you don't need to be near death to be carried forward by hope. At any time in the Christian life, when relationships are strained, when, when we feel isolated, when we feel like no one cares for the God that we follow, when our own sin and failures bring us down and we're just so disappointed with ourselves, in all of those times, we can return to the hope, the living hope that we have in Christ. And that makes all the difference because we know where we're going. Whatever's going on now, we know where we're going. That's a living hope. The third thing that I'd love to just draw out here, which sustains these exiles, is great joy. Great joy. is there in verse 6. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice. And then he said it again in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's Jesus. And even though you do not see him, see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, if you think about this, it's kind of an extraordinary thing to say. He basically starts out by saying, Look, you guys are sort of all over the place and none of you really quite feel at home and you feel kind of a bit dislocated and life is pretty tricky. You're exiles, but you're full of joy. And I guess this follows on from having a living hope. There is a deep kind of joy to be found in the Christian life, a sort of settled happiness, one that can carry you through even the hardest of times, a joy that you can have even in suffering. And it's the joy, it's, it's the triumph, it's the celebration of knowing the Lord who made you and who's going to call you to himself on that last day. Joy, great joy. And finally, the thing that keeps these Christians going, and again, uh, connected to that, are refining trials. That was the second image, the refinery. Refining trials. Verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. These Christians are going through trials that have refined their faith. Now, there's nothing so dehumanizing and despair-inducing as unnecessary suffering. Um, my, my mother studied in eastern, uh, eastern Berlin while Germany was still divided, and she had family and friends in... Uh, sorry, she was living in West Berlin. She had family and friends in East Berlin. And she'd like to go and, from time to time go and see them. And um, the way it worked is you'd get to the border and everyone would stand in a row and they'd have those ticket machines, you know, where you get your number uh, to, to then go through the customs. And the ticket machines would dispense tickets at, in a sequential number, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the, at the desk, they would read out the numbers in random order. So it, it, they'd, they'd, they'd call up 9, 29, 106, you know, really slowly over time. So basically, if you were waiting, you had to concentrate all the time. And there was absolutely no reason to do this. They could have just run them out number by number. But this way, they knew anyone who sat there trying to cross the border would just suffer. 
and we'll just hate it. There is nothing so awful as suffering that is needless and unnecessary. Nothing that breaks the human spirit more than suffering that has no purpose. But the opposite is also true. When you know what your suffering is for, when you know there is some purpose in it, it's amazing what the human soul can, can withstand. And so that's what Peter is, is saying to them here. You are going through some fiery trials. And he uses the image of uh, precious metal, gold, you know, being heated up and all the impurities coming off. So, you know, the heat is on in your life. But as a result, your faith is being strengthened. And that's amazing for us. I don't know whether you've gone through that for yourself. When we realize that our trials are also a time when God is strengthening our faith, when we realize there's something good to be had, even in the midst of the suffering, when we realize that there's a way through our trials that leads to growth, then we can, then we can keep going. Now, how, do, how does this work? How, how can trials lead to the strengthening of our faith? Well, there's, there's a lot that could be said about that. I'm just going to say a few things. Um, it doesn't mean that we have to be able to look at every single trial and say, oh, that's you know, super meaningful and easy to deal with. It's something like this. Under pressure, we have to ask deeper questions of our faith. So when God's favor seems to be absent, uh, when evil or pain has the upper hand, um, when, when suffering is really intense, we, we have to sort of come around and ask again, is God really there? Does, does he really love me? Is he really for me? Will he keep his promise to me? Will he actually do it? And that process can be hugely strengthening for our faith. I wonder if you're currently uh, in the thick of one of those trials. If, like these Christians here, you are suffering grief in all sorts of trials. Perhaps you can take a moment now to think, how might the Lord be refining your faith through that? Perhaps if that is you, by the way, you'd love to pray with someone. It would help you to pray with someone. Do make the most of the prayer ministry that will be happening just at the back there at the end of the service. But also perhaps bring other Christians that you, you know well, your Christian friends, and speak to them about how uh, you're searching for the Lord to be doing his refining work at that time of difficulty. So, Emmanuel Croydon, exiles scattered throughout the streets of South Croydon, Selston, Sandersted, Wallingham, Purley, and throughout Greater London and beyond. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. I, I, I wish for you that encouragement. God's calling, knowing it's God's calling, the knowledge of that living hope. Great joy to discover that and also to see the Lord's purpose in those refining trials. I'm going to ask the uh, band just to come up and uh, join me now. And as, uh, as I do so, I wonder whether we just take a moment of quiet. Perhaps you want to keep the scriptures open in front of you. Um, perhaps you just want to have a moment of quiet with your thoughts.
and perhaps bring some of these things to the Lord in prayer and seek him as he's teaching and speaking to you. I'm going to lead us in prayer in a moment after that, and then the band will lead us in a final song. So let's just take a moment of quiet. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.